Let's turn our Bibles tonight, please, to John's Gospel. John's Gospel and to the 19th chapter. John chapter 19. John chapter 19. We come again tonight to Calvary. Come again to our Lord's cross. It is holy ground. We can't separate ourselves from the sin. We were there. Our guilt was there. Our sin was there. Its punishment was there. Our Savior was there. John chapter 19, verse number 23. We'll break in there. Let us hear the word of God. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts, to every soldier a part, and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. They said therefore among themselves, Let us not rend it, but cast lots for it. Whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which said, They parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots. These things therefore the soldiers did. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus' mother, and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother, and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her unto his own home. After this Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar, and put it upon the hyssop, and put it to his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. The Jews therefore, because it was the preparation that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was an high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then came the soldiers and break the legs of the first and of the other which was crucified with them. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they break not his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. And he that saw it bear record, and his record is true. And he knoweth that he, that he saith true, that ye might believe. For these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled. A bone of him shall not be broken. And again another scripture saith, They shall look on him, whom they pierced. And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him leave. He came therefore and took the body of Jesus. And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night, and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. Then took they the body of Jesus and wound it in linen clothes with the spices as the manner of the Jews is to bury. 
Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new sepulchre, wherein was never man yet laid. There laid they Jesus, therefore, because of the Jews' preparation day, for the sepulchre was nigh at hand. Amen. We'll end our reading there, and we know that God will bless the public reading of his word to every heart. Let's just unite our hearts together in prayer, and let's take a moment and still our souls before the Lord. Almighty God and Father in heaven, we come again before thee in Christ and through him, being brought nigh by his blood. Nothing in our hands we bring, simply to the cross we cling. We thank thee for the merits of the Lamb, Thank thee for the value of the atonement. Thank thee for the merits of the one, O God, at thy right hand. And in his name at this juncture we come, thanking thee for the word of God, thanking thee for this scene depicted here, in which we see the heinous nature of all our sins, the awful price that it cost the Son of God to bear them all away. Lord, abide with us now. Close us in with thyself. And I confess before heaven, this gathered congregation, my complete unworthiness and inability to stand on such ground as this. Forgive my sins, for they are many. Empty me of self and sin and anything else that would hinder. Wash me completely in the holy blood of Christ. And fill me now with the Holy Ghost and power. Grant the divine anointing. That baptism which the Lord alone does give. An anointing to preach. An anointing to hear with profit. Hear prayer now. Let the blood of the Lamb prevail. Dispel all demonic influence. And glorify Christ this night. For we ask it all in Jesus name. Amen. And amen. It is to John's gospel, as we have read, that we come tonight to look again at one of the cries of our Lord from the cross. We were here last week at the cross looking at one of those cries. And as you're fully aware, there were seven cries from our Lord from the cross of Calvary. The first one, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The second one, to the thief, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. The third one, to his mother, woman, behold thy son. The fourth one, I thirst. The fifth one, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The sixth one, it is finished. And the seventh, Father, into thy hands I command my spirit. But it is to that fourth cry, recorded in verse 28 tonight of John 19, that I want to draw your attention for the time that remains. Verse 28 of John 19 says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. This is another of those sayings that is recorded for us only in John's gospel. It was said shortly before Christ died on the cross. And tonight, by the help of God, 
We want to look at this message. We want to look at these two words. I thirst. I thirst. And I want by the help of God. Us all to journey. Down these narrow streets of Jerusalem. I want to follow our Lord. As he goes out toward Golgotha. As he goes toward the place of the skull. Want to in our minds arrive there. And the soldiers nail our Lord to the tree. And our Lord hangs in shame. Below a holy heaven. And above a vile earth. And we watch as the sun conceals its light. For its maker is offering a payment of infinite value for sin. Yeah, we journey tonight with John the Beloved. As we come to listen. As Matthew said, sitting down they watched him there. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to take our seat. And we're going to listen to our Lord. As he paid for our sin. As he propitiated divine wrath. We're going to listen to him. As he says. I thirst. I thirst. First thing I want to show you about that cry is this. The timing of it. Look at verse 28 with me. And after this Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished. That the scripture might be fulfilled. Saith. I thirst. After this. Note those words. After this Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished. But what were those things? What was accomplished? All things were now accomplished. What was accomplished was this. All that needed to be done. That sacrifice might be offered. It was the moment that heaven had planned before there was a world. It was the moment that Christ had come for. In the incarnation our Lord came. He came to fulfill the covenant of works. To fulfill the moral law. He had come to fulfill all the types. Of the Old Testament. As the great antitype. He came to do the Father's will. But verse 28 says. After this. Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished. The law had been fulfilled. For you and I have broken at time without number. But it says Jesus knowing. Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished. The word for know it means to perceive. To see. To know in his soul. The same word is used in 1 Peter 1. Now we'll be going through the scriptures a bit. But let's not turn to this one. 1 Peter 1 where Peter says to the church. For as much as ye know. That you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold. The same words used here. Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished. And dear people gaze upon this moment. Christ here in the great work of atonement for sin and for redemption. Is in complete control of the situation. Knowing. Perceiving that all things were now accomplished. It's just a matter of certainty. The words reveal the the control of Christ. Of the God man of our Redeemer. Over every detail of our redemption. Do you see that? 
every minute detail of redemption that pertain to the dealing with our sin and our guilt, Christ controlled every aspect of it, even amidst his agonies. The one upon that tree, God of very gods, God incarnate, and it now says of him, knowing that all things were now accomplished. And then the cry, I thirst. There's the timing of it. What about the scripture fulfilled in the cry as we make our way through this? Verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith I thirst. Now let's turn to some of those scriptures. Go to Psalm number 22 please. Psalm number 22. Because this thirst was spoken of throughout the Old Testament. Psalm 22. Psalm 22. Words that take us right to the moment. Psalm 22 verse 15. My tongue cleaveth to my jaws. The middle of the verse. Psalm 22 verse 15. Now go to Psalm 69. Psalm 69. Again we see this prophetic statement. Psalm 69 verse 21. Look with me there. They gave me also gall for my meat. And in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink again the thought of the, these words being spoken hundreds of years earlier and in the fulfilling of scripture Christ saith I thirst you see the Lord's death every minute detail of it was spoken about throughout the prophets go back to John 19 there please we read some of it tonight we've read some parts look at verse 24 other parts of the death Verse 24 of John 19. Then they said therefore among themselves. Not as, let us not rend it. But, the, but, but cast lots for it. Whose it shall be. That the scriptures might be fulfilled. Do you see it? Again the very casting of the lots. This awful behavior of these Roman soldiers. It was all a fulfillment of scripture. Go to verse 35 of John 19. Verse 35. And he that saw it bear record. This is when the spear is put into our Lord. He's already dead. Verse 35. And he that saw it bear record. And his record is true. And he knoweth that he saith true. That ye might believe. For these things were done. That the scripture should be fulfilled. A bone of him shall not be broken. And verse 37. And again another scripture saith. They shall look on him whom they pierced. And we were there this morning in Zechariah 12. But here we are tonight at this cry of our Lord in verse 28, I thirst. And we see that the whole cry, this statement is a fulfillment of prophetic scripture. I say again to those foolish people that paint our Lord's crucifixion as something that should never have happened, I really say to them, where do you get it? Our Lord in these moments 
is in complete control. He's in complete control of the whole situation. The scripture and the cry. What about Christ's deity seen in the cry? Christ's deity also seen in this cry. You see, Christ had said earlier in his ministry, I lay down my life. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. And think about the scene here. Our Lord on the cross has been and is in excruciating pain. Yet before him he knows the whole entire scope of Old Testament prophecy concerning his death. And yet he's here, he's in control. He's ruling as man, he's suffering, but as God, he's satisfying. Christ is in control, not the mob, not Pilate, not Herod, not the soldiers, but Christ having this great desire in his soul to fulfill and finish the work the Father gave him to do. He cries, I thirst. Our Lord was not martyred. He wasn't a victim of unexpected circumstances. He's in control of everything. He's outliving, as Peter said in Acts 4, whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined to be done. Let me say this. Christ's state is here. Nothing happened in Christ's life or Christ's death that he didn't control. Let me say something else. Nothing ever happens that Christ doesn't control. It's seen at Calvary. It's seen in our lives. Here we are as we gaze upon him. Dear believer, just as Christ was in control as everything is, he died for you, every minute detail, and I say for you, so he's in control in the other part of his priesthood. Because remember our Lord here on this cross is there as the priest. And he's offering sacrifice. But our Lord's priesthood has two parts, as every priesthood had. Sacrifice and intercession. And he's in control as he offers sacrifice. And right now, at the Father's right hand, as he intercedes on the basis of that sacrifice, he's still in control. And he's fulfilling every minute detail. What a scene before us, dear people. Here's the great high priest of our profession. He's in control as he offers for sin. He's in control as he intercedes for the sinner. And I say to you, my brother and my sister, the Lord of glory, who's offering atonement for your sin. Not his, he didn't have any. For your sin, he's in complete control because if there's one atom of your or my sin not paid for we're lost our lord here's in complete control he's in control as the priest as he offers his priesthood was controlled he offers for sin and now he intercedes for the sinner he intercedes Marvellous picture, the deity of our Lord and control. It's also, of course, a picture of our Lord's true humanity, seen in the cry. Thirsting. 
Thirsting is something we know all about. It's a sign of a true humanity. We thirst. Our Lord, he slept in life. He wept in life. He hungered in life. And he thirsted in life. Yes, there was the natural thirst in John 4. When he went to the well of Samaria and he sat down there and he was weary. And it's all a picture of our Lord's humanity. You see, Christ took on not only our nature, but he took on the common infirmities of our nature. He knew what it was to be weary, to be tired, to need rest, to hunger, and he thirsts. He thirsted at the well. But I say to you, though the thirst here is a true thirst, It's a thirst like none other. It's a thirst like none other. But nonetheless, and we'll look at that in a moment or two, but nonetheless, this whole scene shows our Lord's two natures. As God, he controls. As man, there's this thirst. What about Christ's refusal in this whole scene of thirsting? What about the refusal? What do I mean by that? Turn with me to Matthew 27, please. I want you to turn to Matthew 27. Because there was twice in the cross that our Lord was offered something to drink. Once he refused, and the other time he partook. Look at Matthew 27, verse number 34, please. In fact, let's just read verse 33 to get the scene. Matthew 27, 33. And when they were come unto a place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of a skull. They gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall. And when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. Now why would our Lord not take this? He wouldn't take it because it was mingled with gall. And gall was myrrh. And there was a custom among the Jews... And that was to give myrrh or gall to relieve pain. But remember what's happening here. Our Lord is treading the wine press alone. And he must have no assistance whatsoever. He must drink damnation dry. And he must have no nothing to take away that pain. Or to ease that pain in any means. Let me show you that in Revelation 14, please. You see, sin's being paid for here. Justice has to be satisfied. Divine wrath has to be propitiated. Now go to Revelation 14. Now think about this. He can't take the gall. Revelation 14, verse 10. It's speaking of those that are lost. Revelation 14, verse 10. The same, here's the punishment of sin. The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. Now when Revelation 14 verse 10 says without mixture, you all understand what that is. You take a drink. There may be some of you here used to drink. And you would take a spirit from the wherever you get that old stuff. 
but you'd put a mixture into it to dilute it. Or you get an orange out of a public supermarket, but you have to dilute it. Well, what the Lord's showing us here in verse 10 is this. The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture. The wrath of God is not diluted. It is full strength. That's what it means. And therefore, there's no lessening the pain in hell. Understand that, dear people. The wrath of God upon the Christ rejecter and punishing sin is poured out undiluted. Nothing to ease it. And therefore, since there's no lessening the pain in hell, there can't be at Calvary. He can't take the myrrh. He can't take that and he doesn't take it. Which would ease the pain. Because he's satisfying divine justice. He's paying my hell. He's paying the price. And he's paying it in full. Oh see our holy Lord. He refuses it. He refuses it. Because it's mixed with myrrh. Because our Lord knew. That the cup of wrath is without mixture. It's not lessened. It's not diluted. I'm now going to Matthew 27. Look with me there. Matthew 27 verse number 48. Christ would not take in Matthew 27 that which was lessened the pain. But now go back to John 19. John 19. And when Jesus therefore, verse 30, had received the vinegar, now he takes it. There's no more. Now he can take it. Because there's nothing to ease the pain. You see that? The refusal, there was a refusal as well. But there's also in this cry a declaration and a teaching of the suffering under the payment of of sin. This cry was after the three hours of darkness when Christ prayed for his people's sin. Here was the substitute for the sinner. He's paying for sin under divine wrath that all who trust him will never taste of damnation. But be assured that we see here a real burning thirst. Our Lord here has endured the judgment of God on sin. And I understand there's a depth here that we can't go near. But the punishment of God on sin is here. And I've said before, Christ paid for sin on Calvary. But that is only one of the places that sin is paid for. Because there are two places, both ordained by God, where sin is paid for. A, Christ's cross. B, God's hell. But there's a thirst at both of them. Go to Luke chapter 16. Go to Luke chapter 16. And look with me here. And here our Lord gives us a glimpse. And may I say, and may I say something here. Only our Lord can give us this glimpse. Because only someone who is God, and I say it reverently and fearfully, can lift the lid slightly and let us look in here. 
as he lets us look into hell, because that's what he's doing. He's allowing us a glimpse. He's allowing us a glimpse of an individual here. Look at Luke 16 verse 24. And he cried and said, Father Abram, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I say it's the thirst caused by divine wrath. It's the thirst that is caused by divine wrath on an individual. And he thirsts. And he thirsts. I have to say this. I've heard some of the biggest load of rubbish talked about what's going on in hell. I've heard people say, preachers say, some of the best prayer meetings are going on in hell. I've heard them say, people are repenting now in hell, but it's too late. That is absolute rubbish. There is no repentance in hell. Because it's the grace of God that leads men to repentance. There's a hatred of God in hell. That's what there is. And let me say something else. The fires of hell are not chastening. They're not chastening. They're punishment. Chastening is something that a father does to a son or a daughter to produce better characteristics. Hell fire is not to produce better characteristics. Hell fire is to punish the character the individual was. But there's a thirst in hell. And I say it solemnly. Because we can't deal with this subject without being solemn. But here's a man in Luke 16 and this thirst. Under the fire of God's wrath. Oh, I say to you, when our Lord says, I thirst, there's more than a physical cry here. There's a spiritual lesson our Lord's teaching us. Because remember, everything our Lord said on the cross was teaching. And he's teaching the world. There's a fierce heat under divine fury. And it causes this thirst. We see it in Luke 16. I tell you, this man in hell would tell you there's a burning fury under God's wrath. That his tongue longs for only a drop. You see, people, when they come to the cross, they see nothing more than a physical thirst. And it's there. But there's a spiritual aspect. Showing again that the awfulness of Christ's sufferings as the sin-bearer we're not physical only, but spiritually in his soul. I thirst. I thirst. You see, when you come to the cross, my brother and my sister, and I say it to myself, 
And I say this, what I'm about to say guardedly. It's a marvelous thing to sing about the cross and have sung about it for years. It's a marvelous thing to have known about the cross for years. But never let familiarity separate you from it. You're not separate at Calvary, my friend. You're not outside the narrative. You're in it. And if you weren't in it, you'll never be in heaven. Because Christ is there representing his people. And he's dying for them. And he's suffering for them. And he's in agony for them. That you and I will never be in agony. You and I, brother and sister, will never know what the wrath of God is like. Never. We'll never know what the fire of that fury feels like. Because your Lord entered into that fury for you. Calvary, let me say this, Calvary and hell. Hell is visited by an eternal fury and wrath of God. And Calvary was visited by it also. But it was temporary. Because our Lord paid our eternal hell in full. And he took nothing that would dilute it. He paid it in full. That you and I might go at last to heaven. Saved by his blood. And don't let that run over your mind either. Saved by his blood. And that blood did far more, my brother and sister, than wash us from our sins. In fact, before it ever washed anybody, it was Godward. The blood of Christ was shed Godward first. It satisfied divine justice. It propitiated divine wrath. And yes, we bless God, it washed away our sins. But the only way that we could ever have been washed was that A, divine justice had been satisfied and divine wrath had been propitiated and the law that we desecrated, Christ has fulfilled it. I thirst that my people won't. I enter in that my people will never go into these agonies. I tell you, it's holy ground. You sit and watch our Lord. Finally, our words, our Lord's words here give great warning. Every unsaved soul needs to understand Maybe I speak to one who may listen to this sermon at a further time on CD as you drive your car or whatever. But every unsaved soul needs to understand that if they never come to Christ, they will thirst under divine wrath for all eternity. For all eternity. You see, the Bible tells us that there are many Words that will be said in hell. 
And I'm telling you, one of them is this. One cry that will ascend forever. For as long as God lives in heaven, this cry will ascend. I thirst. I thirst. And I tell you, every believer in this meeting ought to bow our heads and thank God from the bottom of your soul that you're saved. That this cry will never be yours. But I'll tell you a cry that will never be heard in hell. There'll be many a cry. Here's one that will never be heard. Finished. Because atonement, substitutionary atonement is finished. Personal atonement never ends. The only place, and there were two of them, where sin was paid for, There's only one of them that's a finished work. And that's Calvary. Their divine wrath is finished. There it's propitiated. Divine justice is satisfied. And I say to any unsaved, come to Christ and come to him now. Because your sin will be paid for. And it will be paid for either at Christ's cross. And I pray to God it is Christ's cross. But if it's not paid for there, it will be paid for in the fires of eternal hell forevermore. God's justice demands that. God's law demands that. Well, that's solemn, folks. Every sin that has ever been committed in word, thought, or deed across this world, in the history of this world, by whoever committed it, every one will be paid for in one of two places. God knows nothing of mere pardon, dear people. He knows nothing of it. There's a basis for pardon. And that's what we see here. It's the finished work of Christ. When sin was paid for. And therefore the sinner is pardoned on that basis. If I speak to one tonight and you're not saved. Will you come to him? And I say maybe listening to this on a CD. Will you come to him? You say, preacher, you don't know what I've done in my life. I'm not in the slightest bit interested. My job as a gospel preacher is to tell you that the blood of Christ will cleanse whatever you've done. And pardon you. And forgive you. Because one stood in the sinner's place. And he thirsted under divine wrath that we may never thirst again. Christ said to that woman at the well, Whoso drinketh of the water that I give will never thirst again. May God write his word in every heart for his name's sake. Lord, take your word, apply it to every soul. And if any would listen to this at a later date, O God, bring them out of darkness into light and save on the left and on the right.
We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.